Hello and welcome to Flynn's Talk, the podcast that focuses on thriving in the veterinary industry and uh, we've certainly made our way into the third season now and um, have featured some amazing conversations to date which we're uh, really grateful for. I'm Jack Levitt, I am one half or one third of the usual co-hosting setup. I'm by myself for this one uh, but only just briefly at the start because this episode is just a little bit different. We actually recorded this all the way back in February um, and our guests are from Norway. We worked out that on the particular day we did record, the temperature differential was about 36 degrees, it was somewhere in uh, the uh, mid to high 20s here in Melbourne and um, if you're good at maths you'll work out somewhere where the temperature was sitting uh, for our two guests. But um, we came into contact with Dr. Helene and Dr. Marianne who uh, look after the Instagram page at PsychoVets and also PsychoVets Online. And they're both veterinarians and, and have had their own mental health struggles throughout their time working and have found different ways to pivot and, 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 and move sideways and, and try different things. And what we're going to dive into today is their story um, that has brought them to where they are today particularly for Helene, who has launched a really special project that she'll explain um, as part of her PhD research. Um, And what actually else is really cool is we posted them some beanies. Um, You might see the picture on our social media uh, of us recording this episode and all wearing Flynn's Walk beanies, but on the actually the same date that we held our walk in Melbourne this year, they held their own Flynn's Walk Norway. If you jump on and look up hashtag Flynn's Walk Norway, uh, you'll see some awesome pictures of uh, people out on horseback trails and uh, walking the dog through sort of snowfields and, and the like. Um, so that was that was pretty incredible to see our message reaching the other side of the world, um, literally almost all the way to the top. So uh, that's pretty special. The episode is, is pretty heavy for the first half or so and, and both of our guests are really open with sharing uh, their journeys. And uh, we do this, of course, because they uh, would like people to hear from their perspective how they found support, how they found a way through. Um, so we do discuss uh, depression and anxiety and suicide. So just a, a heads up about that. And um, of course, if you or anyone you know is in immediate uh, need of support, there's Lifeline on 131114. Um, of course, if anyone you know or yourself uh, is experiencing an emergency, then triple zero is the best thing for that here in Australia. Uh, But so without any further ado, uh, I think we'll head off to Norway uh, and Cam will be joining me. I'm excited, Cam, to... um, This is... Okay, they're not our first international guests, but they are equally as important and special as um, we've been working on trying to get this particular episode going for quite some time. So I'm excited I did think, though, when we logged in, we might have been logging into a Call of Duty party or some sort of computer game because our two guests are in gaming headsets. So we've got (laughs) Dr. Marianne and Dr. Helene, who have joined us all the way from Norway. Welcome to our humble podcast in Australia. Thank you so much for having us. This is really exciting. We've been so thrilled to join in on you guys. We'll share a uh, little sneaky photo on social media of these headsets we're talking about. 
Sam's gone the wireless model. I've gone the radio kind of <laughs> announcer. But the gaming style, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And having spent so much time working from a home office and seeing how people log in to Zoom calls with different headsets they've borrowed from friends. And even one guy I know has a chair with the, uh, the speakers in the chair that he talks on Zoom. Yeah, overkill. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So you get, you get surround sound. That's very professional. <laughs> surround sound and a lot of looping feedback into his microphone, which is great oh, for everyone else. No. <laughs> I've gone off on a, on a tangent already, but welcome um, to our podcast. And I firstly would like you to introduce yourselves better than I have and tell us a little bit about Marianne first for you, where you live and, and, and like set the scene for where you've joined our podcast today. Right, uh, so I'm um, I'm a small animal vet. Uh, I graduated from vet school in 2003, and I've been working in uh, small animal practice ever since. Um, and after working for a few years uh, in different clinics, I I decided if if I want to stay in this business, I I want to run my own clinic. I need my own practice, so. I'll be able to do things the way I think they should be done. <laughs> um, so I started my own clinic in uh, the islands of Lofoten. It's way up in the Arctic in northern Norway. Uh, it's a group of islands. Um, and I started there in 2008. Uh, and I've been working there and running the clinic since. Fantastic. I'm so glad that you introduced the name of the place because I was way off. <laughs> Way off. And Helene, you're um, closer to Oslo, is that right? Yeah, outside Oslo, that is, but um, in close proximity at least. So I'm a veterinarian as well. I graduated in 2010 and Marianne was actually my first employer. And that's how we met way back. Um, and we've obviously been good friends since, uh, since then, but I guess we come back to that. Um, I've been working in both small animal practice and large animal practice. I even did um, uh, a year as a cytologist, um, and the majority of my, my working experience is from the Norwegian Medicines Agency, where I've been an assessor of efficacy and safety in veterinary medicine. So, um, but I, you know, parallel with the interest for veterinary medicine, I also had an interest for psychology. Uh, but when I applied for for my um, education, I I chose veterinary medicine before psychology. But um, the last couple of years, I've uh, been so lucky that I've had the chance to integrate these two in a way. And um, and I guess we we'll talk a lot more of that in this episode. But I, of course, um, my fascination and interest for mental health began with uh, a mental breakdown of my own in vet school. Um, on the last year when you know <clears throat> you're uh, having high expectations on yourself and your your progression and your characters uh, or, or your uh, you know exams and and that stuff and I just faced you know serious panic attacks really um, during my last exams and at that time point no one was talking about this not even one of my students, uh, fellow students were mentioning mental health or that they struggled. So um, that's that was when my, my first interest in, in mental health. And I've also had a close relative um, 
attempting suicide several times. So I've uh, I've gotten the experience from from that side as well, not just experience it on my own, but also from a close relative trying to take take her own life. So yeah, it certainly is a is a very real thing, and and sadly something um, too many people experience with with people close to them. But thank you uh, for sharing that that story as well and, and your journey uh, through your own struggle because even just saying that out loud um, I'm sure will go a long way to helping other people. Marianne, you've uh, set on your own pathway into setting up your own clinic and, and I'm, I'm interested to tap into what drove you to do that and um, was it things that you saw that you didn't like in the industry? Was it, was it what really motivated you to, to take that path? I think... Uh... Most of all, um, it had to do with uh, management and leadership. Um, I, I find uh, many uh, veterinarians are leaders, but they, they haven't. We have we haven't really been taught to be leaders. We haven't. It's not part of the veterinary educational program to be a leader and. Uh, Many vets end up being leaders, especially for clinical practices, and uh, uh, that's not that's not something that you automatically know how to do. And uh, I think that's perhaps uh, one of the factors that's uh, making life hard as a vet in practice is that maybe you have a leader that doesn't really uh, see you or or run run the staff uh, in, a, in a good way. Um, and, uh, and also, of course, uh, I, I remember listening to Cam, uh, Dr. Cam uh, speaking about uh, perfectionism. Uh, and I really recognize that. Uh, I want things done this way. Uh, I want it to be uh, good. Uh, I didn't even realize I was a perfectionist because, you know, you think I'm not a perfectionist because I hardly ever do things perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something I learned. Uh, that's something I learned uh, during uh, when I went to um, uh, therapy uh, after my, my severe depression. I, I guess we'll get back to that. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in, in, in you know, leadership management and communication both with staff and clients i think that's a very a big part of our jobs and and a very interesting part of the job uh so i wanted to do that myself yeah it's it's a very fair point because as you say like leadership comes in different shapes and forms as well and and being able to lead by example is different to being able to lead in your in your own skin or, or lead in your own confidence so Finding that for different people means different things, doesn't it? As well, and and you've obviously found a way to make that work for yourself. You touched on the fact that you had um, a, a, a severe depression um, time through your life, I suppose. Um, take us through, like realizing that, or and and looking for support. Did did you look for support? Was did you feel there was support available? Yeah, that was the thing because I I never realized that I had a severe depression. Uh, I was, it was really difficult when I started the clinic uh, because it was a rural area uh, and I started uh, 
quite modern small animal practice and people weren't used to paying that amount of money they weren't used to uh, having to do perhaps several tests and blood work and in order to find a diagnosis and you know you probably know exactly what I'm talking about uh, so um, it was really hard work and it took me I mean it took me 10 years to get to the point with the clinic where I thought I would be after five years uh, it was hard financially. We had two small children uh, and a crazy dog. She was more up on the walls than she was on the floor. <laughs> uh, we struggled financially. Um, I was working 12 hours every day. My father had cancer. Uh, it was just a lot of things piling up. And there was, a, there was an old vet in the area from before. Um, and he was trying really hard to sabotage uh, my new practice. Uh, so it was, it was a lot of stress, basically. Uh, but I was so determined that I would make this work. I wanted to succeed with this clinic. So I just kept on going. And obviously, I didn't uh, fill up my energy level. I just thought, okay, I'll, I'll get through this. I'll, uh, it, it's going to get better next month or next year. Or I'll, I just have to hang on and, and work really hard, work harder, make things better. During 2012, 2013, I started having a lot of symptoms. Uh, obviously, stress. I knew I was stressed. I would have. I had these uh, light uh, prisms in my in my field of vision. It was like I uh, I couldn't see properly because there was uh, this this light vibrating in the in the outskirts of my of my visionary field. Uh, I would sweat during the night like crazy. I, I had to change sheets during the night, perhaps a couple of times. Uh, I'd get headaches, uh, muscle aches, uh, stomach aches. I didn't sleep. I would sleep. Uh, I would fall asleep maybe at four in the morning or I would be so exhausted that I'd fall asleep right away. But then I'd wake up at four in the morning. A lot of symptoms. And finally, there was this one night uh, when I was going to the winter cabin with my family and they, I was working to finish some journals and some, some blood tests and all that. I was obviously stressed because I wanted to finish up so I could go be with my family. And, and they got fed up waiting for me, so they just went ahead in, in advance. And so I was about to finish up and I, I had a lot of extra systolic uh, uh, arrhythmia, you know, and I, but I could really feel my heart pounding at this time. Uh, so I, I thought, okay, I'm going to drive for three hours now. It's dark, it's winter. I should probably talk to someone and just see if this is okay. If I, you know, if, if it's all right for me for, to get in the car and go by myself. So I called the, uh, the on-call doctor and I was talking to a nurse and I said, felt my pulse and I said, oh, gee, that's a lot of extra systols. And I made the call and she said, just sit down and we'll send an ambulance for you. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I, and I was just like, no, no, no that's, that's not necessary. It's been like this for months. Uh, it's just, I'm going to do this drive now. So I thought I better check it out. And, and the, the doctor's office was just down the road. So I just went down there and and then everything was fine, obviously. But then they, they started, uh, they did some blood tests and started examining me. And, and I had a severe uh, neutropenia. I had CT scan, I had bone marrow biopsies and all kinds of things. And x-rays, <laughs> blood, lots of blood work. That's what really made me crash. Because then I thought, okay, 
Now I'm severely ill. I'm probably going to die. I'm not going to be able to see my sons grow up. That's really tipped me off the edge. And then I just crashed. But then after a few weeks, because this doesn't take two weeks like it does in veterinary medicine. It takes several weeks. <laughs> so uh, when all the results came back and it was fine, uh, there wasn't something wrong with me. And the doctor said, and I was like, what? Because I was so uh, into the thought of being severely ill. I was like, but, but, but I'm ill. What's, what's going on here? And, and the doctor said, uh, we'd like to refer you to uh, psychiatric therapy. And I just, I've never felt like such a loser all my life. I, it was really devastating. Uh, it's like, what? I thought I was ill. There's nothing wrong with me, but I'm I'm mentally ill. What's going on here? <laughs> and I felt like the world's biggest loser who couldn't cope with my life or my job and work and everything. Did you do you think that that's like I mean we know now that mental health and particularly in the last 12 months has somewhat accelerated I suppose to being on par with physical physical health issues. It's sounding like you were kind of almost in in your own way or or blocked by by stigma as well with thinking no that can't be me because you know that's a sign of weakness for sure absolutely uh i had no idea uh i was really uh faced with my own prejudice uh so that was yeah it was a it was a and the thought hadn't occurred to me but then when I came to uh, to the um, psychi- I went to a psychiatric psychiatric nurse is that is that correct term uh, and I learned so much and they did this the first time I was there she did this multiple choice test that I had to answer and the next time I came in and at this point I was a wreck I was just crying all the time just crying crying crying. Uh, so the next time I came in, she, she said, did you, did you, uh, I have to ask you this, did you consider, uh, taking your own life? Because I scored so high on this test that I was suicidal and I had to think, and I, I didn't really, I never really came to planning to kill myself. I, I, I never did, but I very often had the feeling of not wanting to wake up, just wanting to disappear. Uh, and I think, I have to say, I, I think when when you get to that point, it's it's so dark. When when you get to that point of complete hopelessness, um, you just want to disappear. You just don't you just don't want life anymore. I don't think people who commit suicide, I don't think they uh, want to die. It's just that they just don't want to live anymore. It's not like you want death. It's just, you just want to get away, basically. It's just the, the solution, actually. It's the only solution that you can see. Um, yeah, so that's that was pretty heavy. But then I had therapy for six months. And I, I just it just opened up a whole new world to me. I learned so much from that. And, uh, and I, I just said, oh, this is, this is great. You know, I, I wouldn't, I, I really, I wouldn't have been without that experience now, actually. And uh, I just really want 
my colleagues to know this because I know there are so many other vets who struggle. In a really in a really bizarre way, I don't want this to sound like sound in a, in a bad way, but like you in 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 some way you went a long way backwards to be able to move yourself forward. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Which is not we. It's a story we've heard through these podcasts before, and it's a story that is becoming more open and more common with people. And like, firstly, just a moment to say thank you um, for sharing that and share and being so open. And I'll say how glad I am to hear that you have come back and have, have gone forward from, from where you were. Um, and you're obviously very self-aware and able to, to articulate it out loud. Um, so I'm, uh, yeah, genuinely thankful. So thank you for sharing. And, uh, yeah, no problem. I just, uh, I, I think it's, it's so much to learn and it's so important that other vets hear this and know this. Yeah, hundred percent. So was it something that you two having worked together and, and obviously grown a friendship, um, is this something that a journey that you were able to share with each other? Helene, were you someone who was a close support for Marianne? As I said before, Marianne was my first employer after vet school. Um, and this was back in 2011. And at that time point, neither me or Marianne were sharing anything from, from our personal lives, but we were kind of struggling, the both of us, I guess. Um, and then I, uh, me and my boyfriend, which is also a veterinarian, moved back to Oslo. Um, and I started in a new work, job here. And in 2016, I think, when I was back on track mentally and, and had recharged my batteries, uh, I wrote a debate article in the Norwegian Veterinary Journal that the veterinarians need to talk about mental health issues. Because when I faced my anxiety uh, during vet school um, and also the suicide attempt from a close relative, no one was talking about these things. Um, not my fellow students, uh, not my co-workers, uh, no one in my family. Um, so I, I had a, you know, a really huge need to talk about these things. Um, and shortly after the debate article in 2016, I attended a seminar uh, in Oslo uh, arranged by the Norwegian Veterinary Association where uh, one of my supervisors today, actually, on the PhD project, uh, was talking about uh, their research in medical doctors and mental health. Um, and I had a chat with him uh, during the, the break in the session, and uh, I told him that I just wrote a debate article on mental health in vets, and he was not familiar with the high suicide rate in the profession. Um and we decided to take a cup of coffee and to just talk about these things because he was obviously interested in in this in a research manner. Um, and that cup of coffee in three years now has turned into a PhD project, which is the Nordvet project, which I'm working on as a, a PhD student at the moment. And quite shortly after uh, the debate article uh, and my... Uh, talks with the, the researchers on the University of Oslo, um, one of the largest newspapers in Norway actually decided to write uh, a large feature article on veterinarians and mental health. Um, 
And I asked Marianne because I knew at that time that she had been through quite a rough time in her life. Uh, and I asked her if she wanted to. Or actually, Marianne, you uh, decided to, to join in on the article without me asking when I <laughs> think back. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you, you called me. You called me and you told yeah. me about this article. And I I'm said, in. Yeah, I can be, I can be interviewed. He <laughs> <You> volunteered yourself. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, it took quite uh, a long time to produce the article. It was a 10-page uh, featured article with Marianne, myself, um, and several uh, colleagues of ours. Um, and after that newspaper article, the debate really you know, sped up in Norway. Um, both me and Marianne received like, I don't know, 50 or 60 text messages on our phones that weekend. Um, you know, customers were uh, delivering flowers to their veterinarians just to say thank you and we appreciate the work you're doing and yeah, and so on. So that really, you know, started the the public debate um, and it, I guess it also gave a quite different impression of the veterinary profession because, you know, when, when people uh, see the veterinary profession from the outside, they usually just um, think of the small animal vet taking care of cute puppies, cute kittens. You got me thinking just then about that shift that you made. Um, essentially, uh, you've spent a long time training to be a small animal vet and put all your work and energy into, into looking after puppies and kittens, right? Which is the perception of, of the public and what vets do. But did you find that redirect was, it felt right and felt natural to you to, to start to move away from that work and find other sectors to work in? Or did that carry its own challenges as well? It most definitely did. Um, you know, I think it's quite a huge stigma attached to leaving clinical practice as well as a veterinarian, because that's, as you said, the perception that most people have of the veterinary profession. Um, but for me, small animal practice wasn't right. So I made the decision to leave clinical practice. And actually, I, a short time, short time afterwards, uh, I attended a um, local gym and I had a jacket with the logo from the veterinary school uh, while at the gym and a woman what I expect was uh, a pet owner came towards me and asked oh you're a veterinarian how funny how uh, where are you working uh, and I replied that I worked at the Norwegian medicines agency and told her very briefly about what my uh, working field was with veterinary medicine and then she just, you know, I saw her thinking for a couple of seconds and then she concluded for herself that, oh, yeah, you're not a real vet, are you? <laughs> well. So, but I was, I was quite, um, uh, you know, not angry, but upset because I most definitely am a real vet, although I'm not working in clinical practice. But as I said, it's quite a huge stigma attached to leaving clinical practice. And I think we need to rethink that. We need veterinarians in all kinds of position, not only small animal practice. And do you think that's something that's, there is a barrier there for other people who might be thinking about maybe leaving vet altogether? But actually what they maybe need to do is just leave small animal practice. Yeah. Um, there has been a, some research on this actually uh, on vet students from the UK. And 
over 90% of the students uh, were thinking about or wanted to work in clinical practice when they graduated. So very many of the veterinary students uh, aren't aware of the possibilities, I guess, uh, for veterinarians when they're graduated. So, But there are a lot of opportunities and you need to just think outside the box. And although small animal clinical practice isn't right for you, then there's a lot of options still. So... I think um, it's important to, you know, really think about if you're in the right place and if work is dragging you down, it's not the right place to be. Yeah, that's um, that's very well said. And it's definitely the case for a lot of people just having the courage, I suppose, to say uh, this isn't working for me. And something we've spoken about before is the fact that uh, people might think that they are broken, but it's possibly just the role they're in or the environment that they're a part of. Just going back to the article um, and your work there, part of that is, is that you've been doing a lot of work to shed light on the behind the scenes um, of what it takes to be a veterinarian. And I'm curious to know um, like how this has been received. A lot of my uh, friends and family came to me and said, wow, we really didn't know that the veterinary profession had these struggles. We thought that it was just, you know, a playground cuddling with kittens and puppies all day. So uh, the newspaper article really, really brought the debate to to a good place, I think. And as Marianne said before, uh, one thing is stigma about mental health. But I also think that, you know, the majority of people do not have an education in mental health or or even in, in psychoeducation, you know. Um, at least in Norway, we don't have, uh, you know, a structured kind of education on what are thoughts, what are feelings, uh, and how is this connected to our behavior and, and so on. So when you're experiencing, for example, depression or anxiety, most of us don't know that these are symptoms for poor mental health, just as, you know, but, but very many people know that if you're, uh, you're having pain while urinating, that's a symptom for a urinary tract infection. But um, the feeling of hopelessness, the feeling of, um, you know, when you're losing your, your joy in, in your normal activities, people doesn't know that that are symptoms for, for mental illness. So that's a, a quite important view of this discussion we're having right now, that it's, you know, increasing the public awareness on what mental health really is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so normal. I mean, most people will go through a, either anxiety or depression at some point in their life. Yeah. Yeah. And it must have been such a a powerful thing for your colleagues to to see that that article um and because i think for for so many people that feeling of of aloneness is is probably one of the hardest things and to to see that, that they're not the only ones and that there are shared experiences within the profession must have been just so so important and empowering for for so many people um and so many of your colleagues and it actually it reminds me of um the response that we saw here in Australia following a, 
a TV panel show. Um, I think, oh, I don't remember what year it was now, maybe last year or the year before. The last year has been such a blur, it's hard to remember when things happened now. <laughs> but um, it's a TV show here called Insight where they have a different panel of, of guests every week and they chose to do one on the veterinary profession and veterinary mental health. And um, the response from the public was actually quite similar to what you described there, where people were, you know, receiving cards and the, I think just suddenly that that understanding of the, the challenges and the, the strains on, on people personally and their mental health uh, was really amazing to, to see. And I think it started some really great conversations here too so um it's it's nice to see those parallels between between here and norway it's very good yeah so um you touched on your phd project there the norvet project could you tell us a bit more about what what that uh project involves um it's a is a survey in the veterinary profession do i have that right yeah yeah that's right um it's the university of oslo which hosts the project um and we're at or we have been sending out a questionnaire to all veterinarians in norway and to my knowledge this is actually the first nationwide study uh, of veterinarians um and we the aim of the study is to mainly study suicidal behavior and help-seeking by Norwegian veterinarians. And the emphasis is on work-related and individual factors. So this is a questionnaire that has been used um, in many different occupations before. And we're doing the collection of, of data at the moment. And we're actually at a 70% response rate at the moment. And that is, wow, yeah, wow. That's, that's, that's really, really, that is really good because, you know, uh, similar uh, questionnaires reach perhaps 45 to 50% response rate. So uh, the interest uh, and the engagement in the project from the uh, veterinary profession in Norway has been huge and of course uh, we've been using social media to telling people about the project uh, why we're doing it and why this is so important so what like for for someone like myself who's not attached to the animal industry um might just kind of say like well why like okay there's there's this issue happening in the veterinary field some people will know a little bit about it some people might not what's what does this hopefully converge to for you as as a project? Uh, is it to to identify risk factors, or are you looking to explore um, more the way that vets work and, and make some industry change, or like where does this where does the road go for this after this survey process? Yeah, I guess it's multifaceted, really, uh, because there. Um, in general, there is quite scarce information about veterinarians and mental health. Um, uh, there has been um, some studies uh, on suicide rate. Uh, and the one thing you find is that the suicide rate among veterinarians is high uh, in many countries and over time. So that's <laughs> more or less a fact. Um, but there are no studies on work and mental health among Norwegian or Scandinavian veterinarians. And I guess, you know, the socioeconomic factors are quite different uh, if you look to the United States or the UK comparing to Norway. Um, so uh, for us, this is kind of a baseline study to actually know what's what's the status of the Norwegian veterinarians 
of today. Um, but of course, in parallel, this is also a project aiming to decrease the stigma, I guess, um, to increase openness uh, about mental health and um, hopefully we'll be able to find uh, factors that are associated with, for example, uh, suicidal behavior so that we can be able to do things. And in Norway, there are actually quite many initiatives at the time, both in the Norwegian Veterinary Association, but also uh, in veterinary clinics um, for the newly educated vets uh, and so on. But I guess uh, my wish for this project is to identify where the problems are so that we can do more targeted interventions yeah awesome and and it's as you say like establishing a foundation and a foothold for you to springboard from and and and, and continue to to find out more but as you say there's already information in other countries like there's been some amazing research done here in australia um and cam and i have had the, the pleasure to meet dr nadine hamilton who's who's done a research project and and started a charity here in australia and um, even that has enlightened people across the board and, and, and she found some really, really shocking um, data and facts but has been able to now, yeah, build a campaign from that and get public interest, I suppose. But what I'm, I'm interested about, Marianne, from your perspective, running a clinic and um, like what take us a little bit in, inside what it means to, to be a vet in Norway, like a, a Norwegian's as pet obsessed as Australians, uh, like, because here we're just like uh, cats and dogs in particular are like extra family members. What is it like on the ground being a practicing vet running your own clinic? I think pet owners are pretty much the same <laughs> across the world, uh, probably. You, uh, yeah, we, obviously you have that uh, development here as well that people view their pets as their family members. And uh, more and more people have uh, pet insurance, and so we can uh, do more work and better work than uh, if their own private economy will stop stop us from from doing a full workup. Uh, but then also you have those who have this cat on the farm to to, to catch mice, <laughs> and uh, you know they wouldn't they wouldn't have a CT scan o- on it or or. Uh, repair a fractured leg. Uh, but So there's all kinds, but uh, I think for me, when, when I, there's, a, there's quite a difference between rural areas and, um, and, the, and the cities. Uh, coming from having worked in, in bigger cities or towns to a rural area, you will have more of those uh, owners who don't have pet insurance and perhaps aren't as willing to pay for for full care. Yeah, similar str- struggles to what happened here in Australia for sure. As Cam would know, um, having worked in small animal medicine here in here in Melbourne and, and across, yeah, we were original as well. Um, so on Instagram, um, and we connected through Instagram, which is again just fantastic that we're able to to connect. And here we are talking on the podcast, but. Um, I was a bit shocked that there, uh, your Instagram handle is at PsychoVets and jump on and follow um, the account if, you, <laughs> if you're on Instagram. But I'm interested, Helene, to know where this name came from because I feel like um, it's almost 
kind of inciting a little bit of fun, um, but it's really like it's quite a serious issue. Yeah, and I guess the choice of name was uh, at first really it was just you know a joke between me and Marianne. Uh, yeah, uh, we had uh, we had like I think a couple of of talks together. Um, on mental health, uh, and this was after the newspaper article. Um, Marianne was asked to to give talks about her experience, um, and in a couple of months, me and Marianne held uh, talks together. Me talking about the Norvet project, um, and Marianne talking about her experience with the depression. Um, and you know, when we have uh, w- when we held like two or three talks we we decided that we need a name for this because uh, we just got you know many uh, questions on on holding talks um and it started off as a joke really let's call ourselves psychovets um but that that's quite um describing for me and marianne we want to use humor we want to decrease the stigma and and remove the the stigma about mental health because this is things that the majority of people will encounter in the life. So um, this is uh, one of the uh, our ways to to decrease stigma, really. Yeah, we sh- we share a common sense of gallows humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, like, how do so you got you you had a couple of opportunities to do some talks um, to groups of vets and nurses, is that right? And then from there, how's that evolved to, and now I know during COVID you haven't been able to do it, but you were moving around as somewhat of a little roadshow, I think I saw someone refer to you as. So Marianne, take us through how that evolved and, and then how you found your way around to different parts Um You've been international as well, is that right? Other parts of Scandinavia? Well, I don't know. If it's for, yeah, we've been to uh, Denmark and Sweden as well uh, a couple of times, uh, but mostly Norway. And it, it wasn't at all planned. Uh, it's just uh, after this newspaper article, we were, uh, and obviously Helena was already uh, doing fundraising and doing talks on the project. Uh, and I was just asked after this article if I wanted to share my experiences. And I'm really into, um, I know there are so many vets who struggle. Um, and I want to reduce the stigma and I want them to know how this works. And also, it's a huge, uh, great opportunity to talk about the the conditions of, of this uh, this profession and uh, you know how what can we change in our profession to reduce this mental strain um, so when the, there was a uh, I had a um, request from vet family which is like a, a sort of veterinary union um, if I wanted to speak on their meeting, um, I said, yeah, of course, I, I'd love to do that. And, and then I, I made this sort of lecture. <laughs> uh, and it was just a overwhelming response. And after that, I was asked again and again and again. And, and, and then after having done this a few times, Helene and I said, well, we should do this together. And uh, people started asking us to do it together. And it just happened that way. Uh, so it wasn't really planned. It just happened. And I, I think, I guess, we both have this, um, what you say, engagement, or uh, we have this 
yeah, we're, we're really motivated to talk about these things and to share in order to, to make things better, basically. Yeah, I think what um, is probably most engaging, as you say, about what, you, what you're doing is, is your own lived experience. And, and it's one thing to stand up in front of people and say, uh, tell them about something that you've heard about or researched or read. But I think for you two, you're bringing your own story to that. And it's something that is talked about a lot in a lot of different fields now is that authenticity and that ability to be able to stand and, and tell people to, to open up and to share your pathway and your journey. Um, and it sounds, Helene, like people are being really receptive. Are you finding like people are really sitting up straight in these talks and and and, and following it through? Uh, do you think the appetite is there enough for people to want to get behind this and push it along and, and see real change? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been holding quite a lot of talks in, in other uh, situations uh, at my work. And, you know, very many people check their mobile phones for like 17 times during a 40 40 minute talk but when me and Marianne are holding our uh, talks no one is touching their phones so um you know the the um attention to this uh, and the engagement and, and you know people are coming up to us afterwards uh, just wanting to give us a hug that is obviously not possible now during covid but um this is really affecting people i think um and and it's it's somehow you know a quite huge thing to talk about your own mental health issues. Um, and that's really the case we want to reduce the stigma and to talk about these things so that you don't have to carry this on your own. Um, and when you're talking about vets and, and bad mental health, it's, it's also important to emphasize that it's really the sum of everything. Because in Norway, we have gone from not talking about this at all uh, for like 10 years ago uh, to talk to that everybody's talking about this nearly in every arena <laughs> really and they've also included mental health um, in the curriculum at vet school um, so it's it's important to to emphasize that bad mental health is is always you know, a, a sum of, you know, your personality, uh, your individual factors, your vulnerability, the genetics, of course. Um, but also there are a lot of veterinary specific work related factors like, you know, if you're doing on call duty and you're you're having uh, sleep deprivation over time, that is a huge risk factor for developing uh, poor mental health. So, Again, the knowledge about these things is crucial for for making a change, I think. And in addition to that, um, you need to take care of your mental health in the same way you're doing with your physical health. But, you know, the preventive measures uh, aren't as known. You know, you're doing the jogging, you're, you're going to the gym, you're, you're doing your uh, weight training and, and so on. But uh, very many people don't know what they can do to prevent getting mental illness yeah that's a, a really great um, point that you you make there about what what we can do in our lives um, to to help us and that's something that we often like to to ask our guests on the on the podcast is what what do the both of you like to do to to maintain your mental well-being yeah we, I saw a, I saw an Instagram post Helene I think that you made 
which was around the filling of refilling of the bucket metaphor and how you, um, I guess, rebuild mental energy for yourself or, or and resilience. But um, yeah, how how does that work in your life? I uh, I have been to psychotherapy several times during my life, uh, and one of my therapists illustrated the mental health uh, and the resilience just by this bucket that you mentioned. Um, And you can imagine yourself that we all have a bucket and that bucket uh, always have uh, holes in it. And those holes represent, you know, everything that drains energy from you, basically. Uh, That can be economical issues. uh, If you're going through a divorce, uh, if you're having an illness, you know, whatever. Uh, Some of those holes you can patch up. If you're uh, engaging in a lot of, uh, you know, non-paid activities, <laughs> like um, uh, being the uh, responsible person for the economics in the choir you're attending, um, you know, a lot of these small, small um, tasks you're having that you're really not uh, gaining anything from. Uh, so you can you can start saying no, really, to uh, tasks and and um, requests you're getting because you're getting a lot of requests in your life uh, but often we don't think about uh, the amount of energy they're they're draining and some of the holes obviously cannot be patched so it's it's um, really important to decide what you're wanting to use your energy on and in addition to that you need to refill the bucket uh, and by that I mean doing things that you know increases your energy and for me that is uh, going out in the forest, hiking, uh, doing mountain walks. Marianne is really spoiled with with nice nature and nice mountains up in uh, the northern part of Norway. Uh, horseback riding. You know, I guess if you really think about it, you you know what what's giving you energy, and it's important to make time for those things in your schedule. Um, and be a bit, you know, health personnel. Uh, it has been quite a lot of research done on, on medical doctors and, and human medical personnel. And they're uh, having a tendon, they have a tendency of um, a confusion between, uh, you know, selfishness and healthy interest of your, your own perspectives. And I think that's a quite um, important part of it because... If you're saying no to extra shifts at work, that's not being selfish. That's just you taking care of you. So uh, it's important to know uh, and and to know what measures you have to take to really take care of yourself. And and saying no to extra shifts or extra tasks that's that's just draining your energy. It's it's one of them, I guess. And Marianne, for you, running your own uh, clinic, and you've just recently built a new facility and moved and you're juggling all of that how do you uh reset and recharge and Alain, you mentioned scenery sounds great where you live um marianne so how do you um yeah reset and recharge your batteries or, or refill that bucket uh definitely being outdoors that's that's the main thing for me uh i like to if i really need to you know fill up that that level in my bucket <laughs> uh what works best for me is uh, hiking the mountains on my own. It's like, uh, you know, it's like I get this mindfulness state uh, from hiking alone and just enjoying the scenery and just letting my mind wander. 
Um, also, I find yoga very helpful. Uh, the the breathing the breathing that you do with uh, when you do yoga is is just fantastic. Um, but sometimes you know just just having uh, just taking an hour with a book or a magazine and a nice cup of coffee and just you know do nothing. Uh, also, I think it's important to make the time to meet friends. Uh, I think a lot of vets lose contact with a lot of their old friends or or new friends or whatever <laughs> because they work all the time. Uh, and uh, yeah, you, you, and then you, you make time for your family, obviously, but then you also need to have some some social interaction outside of work and get your mind off things. You know, just go out to meet friends and talk about other things. I think a lot of vets forget to do that. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And I can imagine it must be very freeing and, and great to, to let your mind wander in those amazing mountains. Um, yeah. It's being incredibly beautiful. Yeah, sounds, sounds amazing. You know, the Hippocratic Oath, are you familiar with that for, for the medical doctors? You know, when, when they when they graduate, they have to, you know, um, say an Hippocratic Oath for, uh, you know, taking good care of their patients and so on. And in, in 2017, they actually made a revision of the Hippocratic Oath for the physicians. Um, and they added a new uh, clause that requires doctors to look after their own health. And, and it goes like... I will attend to my own health, well-being and abilities in order to provide care of the highest standard. And that's uh, quite interesting, I guess, because the medical doctors have, in that way, um, emphasized the importance of taking care of yourself. Because if you're not doing well, then you're not giving um, good care to your patients. So that's, uh, I guess, a challenge to the veterinary schools around the world to include the new veterinary students and the new newly graduated vets to uh, make an oath to take care of their own health as well as their patients. Well said. And Cam has raised some similar themes around this um, where we, we actually sat around one night, we had a had a beer and, and we were catching up as a committee. Um, and yeah, Cam, you raised almost exactly this, this theme around um, aligning veterinary doctors to more of, I guess, the standardized practices of, of um, human doctors. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I'd I'd noticed in um, the required skills upon graduation in medical schools as well as in uh, nursing schools that um, that graduates needed to be able to recognize when they needed to look after themselves so that they could look after others. Um, and so that's something that I would absolutely love to see. Um, it's obviously something that's that's hard to um, incorporate into a veterinary curriculum because it's it's a you know it's a difficult thing to to put on an exam. And so I think it's something that that can be put in the the too hard basket, um, something to think about later, but it's something that I would, yeah, really love to to see acted upon. So that's a that's a fantastic point. Yeah, yeah. I think um, while difficult, it's something that over a number of years it would ultimately could save a lot of people um, from from burnout or from from turning away from the industry, um, feeling like maybe that 
you know, uh, a veterinarian feels like they failed at what they studied to do and, and have worked hard to achieve. Um, but I guess all of what we've talked about as well throughout this conversation has been reducing those barriers, um, reducing the stigma around putting your hand up and saying, I'm not doing okay, normalizing those conversations and in turn, I guess, creating a bit of a cultural shift in, uh, in how vets view their own health. We need to change uh, the way we look after ourselves and not think that, uh, you know, I know there are so many vets sitting around thinking, oh, everybody's doing some, this job so much better than me. I'm not coping and, you know, get a grip. Uh, that's definitely not true. Um, you have to fill up your bucket. You have to stop trying to do 10 things at the same, at the very same time. Um, you know, self-management. We also need better leadership. Uh, we need a better public understanding of the profession. Uh, and we need people to recognize the symptoms early uh, before you get down into that big black hole of depression. You need to do something. And in order to achieve all these things, we, we have to, to talk about it. I hope some of Helena's research is going to give us uh, some answers and, uh, and to make to um, enable us to make some changes both uh, in ourselves but also in the veterinary profession. For sure. I, I, can I ask as well, Marianne, for, for you as a, as a manager of other veterinarians and people in a clinic environment, what, what practices have you introduced over time or what, what are the things that you do as a staff body to encourage that culture to shine through and for people to speak up? I you know, I, t I ask them all the time, are you okay doing this? Uh, do you have enough, uh, do, do you have enough time for your tasks? Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't just say, how are you? And they say, oh, I'm good. And then, you know, that's it. Because <laughs> you don't get any information that way. It just, you know, ask specific questions. Uh, you know, are you okay? Do you have enough time writing your journals? Uh, should we change anything? We can... You know, like I have a rule in my clinic when the vet is sitting on the computer writing journals or looking at blood work, you're not allowed to disturb. You're not allowed to say, hey, uh, Mrs. Uh, Jensen is in the reception asking something or, you know, I have a phone call for you or, you know, you, you, you don't talk to the vet when when he or she is, is working on the computer uh, with <laughs> with. You know, because it seems like you're not really that busy, but your brain is working really hard. Um, and also, you know, you have to ask really specific questions, uh, like I said. And and also, we have a lot of fun. You know, don't take yourself so seriously all the time. Uh, you know, we joke a lot. We quite often we meet up uh, after hours or in the weekends and we go to dinners or, you know, do something together, go horseback riding, try to create this uh, strong friendship among the uh, colleagues, basically, so that they will talk to not only to me, but to each other. And I, I can confirm that the things Mariana is saying, because uh, in my 11 year of experience in the working life, the Christmas dinner in Mariana's clinic was by far the most fun I've ever attended. So <laughs> I still remember it vividly. <laughs> yeah, it's important to, to, you know, don't take yourself seriously. Uh, have lots of fun, joke a lot. I mean, we, 
and also I, I make a point out of making mistakes. We all make mistakes. Uh, you cannot you cannot not make a mistake. Uh, that's not possible. We're human. Uh, so when we make mistakes, we we talk about it. Obviously, uh, if it's a serious mistake, we look at what can we do to prevent this from happening again. But we all make small mistakes all the time, and, and we laugh and joke about it. And you know, it's it's okay to make mistakes. And I think that's important for the staff to know. And that probably speaks to what we were talking about back towards the start of our chat around the perfectionism um, ideal <laughs> around doing everything perfect all the time. And and that I, I suppose feeds the uh, feeds the cycle to begin with. With mean um, people won't speak up because they don't want to show any weakness, but. I suppose if you can, it sounds like you've been able to turn that into into more of a lighthearted atmosphere for your people, which is great. I hope so. <laughs> now keep keep it up because every clinic that does that um, is another one that is pushing in the right direction, and all of the work and the talks and the and the research and that that's happening in both of your lives is can only can only improve um, things for the next lot of people coming through vet schools and and into the workforce and. Uh, I suppose dealing with the work-life balance and all that comes with it. So, um, yeah, thank you for sharing your, that that journey that you walk every day with us, and um, we'll certainly be following it from over here in Australia and um, promoting what you're doing. and And we look forward to seeing those next uh, research pieces from you, Helene, come out and. Um, following the Norvet project. That's great. And thank you so much for having us. We are really thrilled to be able to participate in such a great podcast. We've been listening to it from Norway and, and we've shared the podcast with our Norwegian colleagues as well. And I think this is, uh, this is a much needed podcast because uh, although the stigma and the public debate on mental health has improved the last years and in, in people talking more about these things, we still have a long way to go. So, so your podcast is really in due time and really important, an important um, addition. Yeah, I definitely sign that. Thank you so much for having us. It's, it's, it's great talking to you. Well, we thoroughly enjoyed having Marianne and Elaine join us on the podcast all the way from Norway. And we're super lucky that we're able to do this. Um, obviously, in the COVID time, we're recording our episodes remotely, but the fact that we've been able to record an interview across the seas is uh, is, is pretty special. Um, I just spoke with Helene actually prior to publishing this episode, and she mentioned that her project is tracking exactly where she was hoping it would be, uh, which is amazing news. She's actually just submitted her first manuscript. Um, so it's all guns blazing on that front. If you want to continue to follow the PsychoVets story, you can do that at PsychoVets on Instagram or hit them up psychovets.no for Norway. The website is in Norwegian. I'm told there's an English version coming. And hello if you're listening to the episode in Norway or any other part of the world. Obviously, today's episode involved some pretty heavy conversation. Uh, Marianne and Helene are both really open about their mental health journey in the vet field and in personal life. Um, if anything has uh, weighed you down from today's conversation or made you realize you need some support yourself, um, Lifeline's available 24 hours a day, seven days of the week in Australia on 13 11 14. There's also the Lifeline SMS service that runs every day between 12 p.m. and 12 a.m. 
Uh, the phone number for that and the lifeline number and a couple of other useful contacts are in the episode notes. So please do uh, reach out for support if you're feeling that you need that. A big thank you from myself, Cam and Jez. We've got lots more conversations coming up in season three with some fantastic guests. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and you'll hear from us again very soon.